I really wonder how much of the culture wars is driven by a fear and anxiety that doubles down on power as a means of self-protection. You want to you you continue this theological discussion in a car or in a jailhouse with cops? Welcome to Everything Just Changed, where we envision a post-culture war church and equip leaders who just can't even anymore. Views on power seem to be black and white. For those who've experienced an abuse of authority, all power can seem evil, while others don't even seem aware of how their position and privilege skews in their favor. But no one seems to know how to really think about power, especially as Christians who are supposed to find power in a crucified and risen Christ. Join us as we explore power in this series. I'm Bryce Hales, and along with my co-host Brad Edwards, we are pastors in the Western U.S. who want to guide you to think about power as a means for redemption. Here are the questions that power brings up for us. Excited to be back with you this week. We started last time a new series where we are talking about power. We really are just here to ask some questions. The issue of power has become such a contentious thing in the last, I don't know, 18 months plus. And and we just want to explore what's going on. And so last time we talked about power and perspectivalism and kind of our hunch that Part of the reason why this has become such a fraught topic is that we don't have the category of wisdom in operation when we're thinking about how we use power. So today we really want to kind of set up this question. So why are we even talking about this? And we talked a little bit about this in the last episode, but I think if you think back about it, um, the evangelical church, the Christian church more broadly, has largely ignored issues of power. And in doing so, it has de facto baptized the use of a worldly approach to power. And that has come home to roost in many terrible ways, especially as former megachurch pastors and others have been outed over issues related to their abuse of power. And many, Brad, I was going to say progressives, but you kind of push back on this. I, I think just like this populist moment that we're living through now is rightly crying foul of that use of power, right? Mm -hmm. But in doing so has largely swung the pendulum in the total opposite direction. And so now in many ways, uh, especially progressives, though not exclusively, want to say that sort of all use of power is abuse, that any hierarchy in relationships is a misuse of power. Anyone in a position of authority is inherently dangerous because power is inherently corrupt and abusive. Okay, so that's the spectrum. <laughs> that's yeah. the minefield, minefield through which we're trying to navigate now. I, I think we have to start off by saying that that view that all power is inherently corrupt and abusive, it's not just incorrect. I mean, Romans 1 talks about the gospel as the power of God. So for Christians, we can't say that all power is abusive inherently. It's also just functionally impossible, right? From from parents to presidents, everybody has some measure of power. Somebody mm-hmm. uses power. I mean, every morning I've got four kids and I have some 
authority and power to try to get them up and out of bed and ready for school and out the door to the bus, you know? So it's impossible to live life without using power. Right. And I think, I think even just that the bad categories that we have been operating off of are part of the symptom of what we were talking about last time with just how our culture lacks a situational perspective and or just an appreciation for the role of wisdom in talking about something like power. Because even the fact that we are attaching unavoidably black and white moral categories to power, is it good or bad? Well, maybe power is a tool that can be used for good or bad things. And the question is, what are the means and purposes of using power that makes that power a a good or bad use? Yeah. And so yeah. we're trying to we're trying to take a step back and ask some pretty big meta questions uh, because we don't feel like the conversation is happening upstream enough. We're not, we're in, in some ways we're not being critical enough of, of our use of power. It's not that we're being too critical. It's that we're, we're not questioning enough of the yeah, foundations we're not being, that we built on. We're not being critical in the right places. Yeah. Right. And so in this series, we're going to ask a bunch of questions and really today, what we're going to do is we're going to bring some of our questions to you, but Ultimately, I, I just think even clarifying some questions around definitions, like what is power? How do you define that? How, how would we summarize a distinctly Christian understanding of power? Some of those just basic questions we're going to hit, I think is going to be super uh, important in helping to clarify some of the bigger questions that we're going to get to. Before we get to our questions, I, I had a thought and I wanted to get your kind of input on this, Brad. As we we have talked about this kind of paradigm of king and kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we've said that evangelicalism largely wants the king uh, without his kingdom. And uh, we kind of worked our way backwards into that because we heard Mark Sayers say that secularism wants the kingdom without the king, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it struck me as we're talking about this minefield of power that some of the the problematic stuff around power and how we're thinking about it tracks onto that par- that paradigm. Oh yeah, in, in the sense that um, I think the the Christian, especially evangelical approach to sort of like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain is that it, it's the king without the kingdom, right? And so yeah. it's like, well, the king's got the power, and so we don't really need to be that critical about how power is being operated uh, yeah. is being used or towards what ends or, in, or, or are we striving for, you know, maybe even good ends, but we're, we're doing it in a way that is thoroughly corrupted by worldly power. Right. Hmm. On the other side of the spectrum, the secularism of both the left and the right, the populist moment that we're living through is now kind of taking this, this kingdom without the King approach to power and essentially saying, Let's just try to like deconstruct all approaches to power. Yeah. Well, I, I, yet yeah, that that feels really that resonates. And I agree with the, the paradigm that we've been operating off of. This does map onto that and fit really well. I think I, the way I've been thinking about it, and this may this may intersect with what you're talking about, has been if you see your purpose or your use of power as the pursuit of kingdom without the king, then you're going to see power and define it morally within systems and structures. 
right? The, the, yeah. the, the parts yeah. and pieces of the world and of, of creation and the fallenness of creation, you're going to see use and abuse of power. And the problem is there. So we need to fix the systems and the structures. Yeah. If well, you... and also, I mean, I think at the same time, if you're, if you're opposed to this idea that there is actually a king who, you know, uh, what does Jesus say in the Great Commission? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I, I know I said this in a sermon two weeks ago. That's a startling statement. You yeah. Know? Well, I mean, like, think about it this way. If if you fix, if we were able to fix all the broken systems and structures and it was a just world, i.e., you know, utopia or after Jesus comes back, if we're like really charitable with that uh, definition, if you imagine that, then you imagine a world where the systems and structures are such that no authority is even necessary or needed. Or, or vested in a person. Exactly. Right? If, it a, is, if, if power functions in a just way through systems and structures, yeah. then we should be skeptical of any person who is attempting to exercise authority. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why that's why the left typically we're speaking, by the way, we're we're using a lot of generalizations. We know that there are exceptions to this. <laughs> we're talking about trajectories and yeah. and broad categories. But typically the left is going to view all authority as problematic for that reason. But if you if you look at the other end of the the you know political cultural spectrum, on the right, if you see the purpose of your effort and and use of power being in service of the king without the kingdom, then you're going to locate the problem of power and injustice in people, in individuals, especially, or or at least persons. So, in other words, it, the problem is is their heart or their intent. Um, and so, if your intent's good, then you can't be culpable for systems and structures. Mm. And so, the, and this is illustrating a huge divide um, within evangelicalism, especially around race and gender. And this is why, like you said, this maps on disturbingly well. But in if yeah. the left sees all authority as like inherently problematic because at best authority is a necessary evil, then on the right, you're going to see any accountability as the, as a necessary evil and, and all accountability is problematic. So any infringement on your, your freedom or your ability to pursue what you want, what is in your heart, what is your intent, that is going to be an evil and misuse of power. But we're not asking the question of like b- the problem with both of those is that it is subjectively remaking the use of power in man's own image. It's not actually reflecting as mm. image bearers the creator God's flourishing original intended use of power, which should be, I think, it, as Andy Crouch in Culture Making said, uh, connected with like power should result with teeming, a teeming of life, and and I love that that language because. That is where the left and the right gets it wrong, is that we are having to reduce the teeming of life and flourishing in order for our definition of power to work. And that's inherently not biblical. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good stuff. Okay. So, but, okay. So we got some ideas, but the next bullet point on our uh, outline here is uh, we're not trying to offer solutions and that that's just kind of what we just did. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're wanting to present a framework that I think makes a lot more sense of the, yeah. the cultural moment that we're living through than the left, right continuum. Yeah. Right. And that is around the king and kingdom paradigm. Okay. But it, it, really what we want to do is sort of be mm. conscientious objectors in the culture wars and say, like, I see this stuff on the left and the right. 
and it kind of feels like the same thing from both sides. And so we want to talk about power because it's a, um, yeah. well, it's a very important issue, right? And it's a very difficult issue for us to talk about. And so our hope in this series, this is like our second introduction to this series. And then we're going to have a bunch of conversations. And so um, we're actually really excited about some of these conversations we're going to have. Uh, we're going to have Kyle Strobel back. I know a lot of people love hearing from him. He's got a great book on um, power that I talked with him about. We're going to talk to Russell Moore. Yeah, so we're going to sit down with authors and experts in a variety of fields and ask questions. And our hope is to sort of chart the way through the culture war minefield around power. I know where some of the problems are. We want to find some solutions. Okay, so what we want to do today is kind of bring some of our questions to the surface. And so Brad and I each have come with three questions about power, and we want to share those questions with you. And then we're going to ask them to a bunch of people, and then we'll probably revisit them in a couple of months and see what we learned. So Brad, why don't you hit us with your first question about power? Yeah, so I've been really thinking about this in terms of, you know, our original intent with this podcast has always been like, man, what in the world is going on? It feels like we're experiencing an accelerating rate of change. And we're, this is an excuse to uh, get people to talk to us who otherwise would not be up maybe for just a regular phone call uh, (laughs) to ask questions about what we're experiencing. And so this is really like, these are all felt need questions for me. And so my, my first one is within politics, which is, let's face it, the new American civil religion, politics have come to a point of negative polarization where bipartisanship is a feels like a pipe dream and as that negative polarization increases like when we talked to David French last fall uh, it was it feels like our politics are getting to a point of polarization where the primary dividing line is not going to be uh you know progressive versus conservative which is frankly, like it's about policy and about solutions. Mm -hmm. It's more about uh, illiberalism versus liberalism, Mm -hmm. i.e. whether you see a use of power as uh, coercion versus persuasion in a pluralistic environment. Mm. Do do we use how we use political power is is a is a greater wall and barrier to overcome now. And I think it's going to be increasingly so, and that'll be increasingly obvious than even just our disagreements on solutions for society. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that there, if you go back however many years, there was a general sense that like liberals and conservatives had different means to arrive at generally shared solutions. And now it's sort of like, what are you willing to give a pass to in order to get things the way that you want them? So we're disagreeing over solutions now. Yes. Gosh, solutions and means. Functionally, what is concerning about that is that we are saying, we're kind of adopting a utilitarian politic that whatever gets us to what we define as our, our kind of you know utopian dream whatever gets us there whatever use of power it is acceptable right that is how we, we how white evangelicals 85% of white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump and so it's this is a huge question for me mm-hmm. because if politics are downstream of culture that has dramatic implications especially for the church in terms of like how the church sees its itself in a given in any given place or context never mind in the broader world and society. So mm-hmm. that, that is, God, that has so many implications. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what's your what's your uh, first question here? So my first question is, and this is sort of relates to what what you just said there about politics being downstream from culture. I am curious about how do we think about the relationship between power and culture, and I and I'm thinking not culture like on the scale of you know American culture as much as. So maybe to put it like this, like you and I, we, we're, well, we're pastors at the same church now, um, right? And so we're trying to build a certain culture in that church. It's a church plant. It's five years old. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't come with a legacy of traditions and rituals and stories, right? It's a new church, and we're trying to build a certain culture that's characterized by the gospel, that's characterized by yeah. hospitality, that is characterized by... You don't have to believe in order to belong, but we also want to become more fully the people God is calling us to to be. Yeah. So what's the relationship between power and creating that sort of a culture? I mean, hmm. and, and th- I mean, this would apply to like parents. How do you create the culture of a family too? Because hmm. doing so involves the exercise of power in one mm-hmm. way or another. It has to. And you could be a control freak. Right. You could be like an autocratic dictator and sort of demand or try to exercise absolute control and power. And and the reality is, in some ways, that would be more efficient, but it would result in a sort of unhealthy, deformed culture. And so it seems like somehow culture creation has to involve the release of power. And so, I mean, this goes back to what you're saying about the the kingdom without the king mindset in some ways. Like, we have to release the power into the system itself so that the culture is stewarding and and exercising power. So those in leadership are stewarding power, but then the power has to be released into the system itself and distributed to other members. But I I just want to understand that more fully. What, What is the relationship between culture and power? Yeah, dude, I, I I want to point out how much like <laughs> even the difficulty you just had in describing that is why we're doing this, right? Because mm-hmm. this is hard to put our finger on, not least because we've seen a lot of, you know, church leaders or pastors who use the language and, and apply, you know, uh, self-identify using the label of, you know, we're, we want to create a gospel-centered culture. Mm-hmm. We've seen many of those leaders who talk about that the most actually abusing power in ways that are not in alignment with the gospel. And so there's something about the way that we have seen and looked at the relationship between power and culture, especially within the church, that is deeply problematic and and deficient in some way. Mm. And yeah, I'm I'm very much with you on that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Question two from you, Brad. (sighs) I remember very vividly, and I've thought about this moment a lot, a few years ago while preaching, I don't even remember what the the sermon was on in terms of passage or topic, but one of the things I've had, I've gotten the most feedback on was I made the statement that it seems like increasingly as time goes on, we as a culture and society, and yes, within the church too, have made power rather than trust the currency of relationship. And, and what I mean by that is like we, you know, relationships require a degree and level of vulnerability. Mm. And if, if we, we're increasingly moving to a point where if, if we don't think we can have relationship with any, any, with someone, if power is involved in, in a, an unequal way at all. And that's just like you said around family and church, like that's just not possible. Like that is, that is a, a, 
a form of egalitarianism that just doesn't actually align with reality. And that means that functionally relationships and community, if that is the assumption we're bringing to it, I wonder if that is related to our loneliness epidemic, hmm. right? I wonder if our, if, if we are making power and not like character, the basis for trust or, or, or time, like there's so many different factors here that we are neglecting because we're so hyper-focused on power as a currency for relationship. I just wonder if that, is, that feels very connected to how isolated and disconnected people feel. And so I'm really, especially like, I really want to dig into like how power affects community. Hmm. Um, because I mean, that's that, a, that has a lot to say about you know, celebrity culture, both inside and out the outside of the church and social media influencers and, you know, where, where the currency really is, I'm attracted to, or I follow this person because of their platform, which is yeah. an, an expression of power. Yeah. Not, not as much trust. Yeah. And, and we're going to, you know, <laughs> we're going to feel seen or known by people who view power and relationship the way that we do, whether that is a mere kingdom or mere king direction. And that means we're walling ourselves away from a depth and diversity of community that we actually like fundamentally need kind of anthropologically. Mm -hmm. And so dude, I, I, was, I thought I was going to get through a whole podcast episode without social media coming up. And then you got to bring it up. And I'm just like, well, at least it wasn't me because I feel like I'm, I'm you know, to quote Jonah Goldberg, uh, banging my spoon on my high chair on that all the time. So uh, <laughs> yeah. anyway, what's your second question? Okay. Second question. I want to explore how power relates to um, deconstruction, Ooh. especially in the popular sense. Um, hmm. I feel like you need to qualify this by saying like deconstruction is an academic theory, right? It's really <laughs> like a f philosophy and a literary theory, but like the way that it's happening, I mean, let's talk about social media again. It, 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 that's what Twitter exists for. I think at this point, hmm. it's just point a finger and tear somebody down, tear a thing down. I, I'm curious about, so I, I was listening to Mark Sayers on the Rebuilders podcast a couple weeks ago and he finally answered a question about critical theory and critical race theory. And I was fascinated by how he approached this because Mark Sayers um, says, I've basically been trying to avoid answering this question for so long because, <laughs> because here's the thing. There are many reasons why you would want to avoid answering no, that but, question. But, but like in typical Mark Sayers form, as soon as he says something, you're like, well, yeah, that's, I see it now. It's, it's crystal yeah. clear. It yeah. was foggy before, but now it's clear. And basically what he said was, I could give you 22 points on how, you know, what, what the marks of critical race theory and critical theory are. But I don't think that that's actually what's happening as we're discussing critical theory and critical race theory, especially on Twitter. And so mm. I, I wonder if clearly defining what power is and isn't and then beginning to recover a Christian understanding of how we actually use power and what we do with it, if that would actually sort of undercut some of the culture war arguments around these concepts like critical race theory and political mm. correctness and things that are just so divisive. If we actually just correctly understood what power was and began to use it in a Christian way, if we could like erode the culture war instead of winning it. Man, I... 
yeah, I really wonder how much of the culture wars is driven by a fear and anxiety that doubles down on power as a means of self-protection. Um, like I, I just keep thinking about how like abuse begets abuse and, and how often abuse is, is rooted in a, an insecurity mm-hmm. or a fear. And it, unless we can stop that cycle, especially if we're talking about applying that beyond individuals, but we're talking about that societally mm-hmm. or communally, like what if entire communities are, are stuck in that cycle? Oh my God, like there has got to be a way of breaking that, breaking that cycle. And so we didn't list some names uh, that we are going to be talking on that topic because we have not confirmed them yet, but we are hoping to have a couple names that you absolutely will recognize uh, on that. And hopefully we can talk yeah. about that more here soon. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, good stuff. Okay. Qu- question three, Brad. This one is, uh, gosh, this is, this is especially, this is related to what I was just saying, actually. And yeah. I want to be particularly careful about this because it's th- this, is, this question and this trajectory is one I have heard or read countless fellow pastors ask about or wrestle with and have like privately and almost nobody is talking about it on social media. I, I feel like this is a perfect example of what we're talking about here, where like to ask this question on social media. Or in a podcast. In, in, well, hopefully we can say we're asking the question, yeah. <laughs> right? We're going to pose it to some experts. Um, but this is this is an example of if you say this on social media, it might, it, like it could, you could lose your job. Yeah. Absolutely. And that is, and it's this, in this very clear moment that we are having around an awakening awareness around abuse of power, we could apply that to the criminal justice system and and unjust racial inequality built into the system. We can apply this to all kinds of things. Within the church, there's a spiritual abuse awakening happening that Anyone probably listening to this podcast is already familiar with um, CT slash Mike Cosper's podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And my question is, how much of the abuse that we're seeing is a result of uh, supply and demand in ways that have actually set up this to be an unavoidable thing because there are so few accountability structures because you cannot actually grow a church to the size and magnitude that we have done and we see in evangelicalism without having a, shall we say, a loose uh, posture towards accountability. But also, mm. I worry that this kind of moment we're having and reckoning around that, there are a ton of pastors who are getting a populist kind of abuse. And is it possible that pastors are experiencing abuse because we're blind and reducing our definition of power to just one dimension, which is like institutional power that a pastor has and not like social or relational power. And I think especially about Andy Crouch's book, uh, Strong and Weak, and how he has a chapter in there on uh, how every leader is going to have a hidden vulnerability. People don't see it. They don't know. And that's one of those validating things I've, I've, I've ever read because I'm like, oh my gosh, this explains why I don't feel like uh, I'm invulnerable because I have power. I don't feel safe, um, but you're perceived to be that way. So that is a dynamic that was that is the case. I don't care what time or cultural moment we're in the midst of. Now that this reckoning is happening, we're hearing from pastors. And I, one of our friends, Bryce, has said, 
it feels like it is open season on pastors. Yeah. Yeah. That it is like socially acceptable, not just to be skeptical, but to be like actively disdainful and resentful toward pastors. And I want to be clear, like I don't I don't experience that specifically at the table it, it, in, in our own church. It, it just, it, there's an atmosphere of this and it mm-hmm. has absolutely, I've experienced that. I feel like I've, I've, I've experienced that in the past at the table, but mm-hmm. this is, this is not like an us articulating this thing. This is a, this is a dynamic we are hearing pastors wrestle with privately everywhere. I don't, yeah. I've, I have not talked to a pastor yet. Who's like, that's not really a problem. I don't see, I don't know what you're talking about. Let, let me see if, let me see if I'm like, is this what you're saying? As the reality of spiritual abuse is becoming more culturally known, and there's greater awareness of that, there are some pastors who have just terribly abused their power mm-hmm. who are being outed yeah. rightly. Mm-hmm. And that's also contributing to a sense in in which like anybody who would presume to a position of authority or to teach the Bible is sort of viewed skeptically. I, and I would even say, I'd say it a lot more stronger than viewed skeptically. It's kind of like, you know how the word missional used to mean something, <laughs> right? In, in our world, it it meant like building relationships with our neighbors and loving them unto Christ. And now it can kind of mean like, well, it means I grab a beer one day a week and don't talk to anybody, you know, in my local pub or craft brewery. Like, it's like, well, that's not being missional. That's just you drinking a beer. Uh, (laughs) you know, like, like we, the overuse of the term has watered it down. I worry the same thing is happening with the way that we use abuse. Like it is not abuse for a, for a pastor to tell you, you, you are actively and unrepentantly walking in sin. Right. It is not it is not abuse for a pastor to tell you you're not welcome to take communion because you are having unrepentant uh, affairs and breaking the covenant you have made with your spouse. Like that is not abuse. And I, I'm using, I know these are caricatures in some ways, but I, I worry that in a, in using that word so often, we are both uh, cheapening it yeah, in terms yeah of, that's what I was going to say. It, it actually devalues the experience of people who have suffered legitimate abuse. Absolutely. And let me tell you, I, I, I spoke to a, a group of students from Covenant Seminary who came out for a field trip for basically like to Denver to check out what church planning is like. And dude, I ended the talking with them by just saying, guys, thank you. I, I'm, I'm in awe of the fact that you want to go into ministry right now because this is hard. And if we apply abuse to things that are not abuse, and, and that becomes the, the only people who are going to want to be pastors, just like the only people who are going to want, who want to be politicians right now are going to people who be the people who are most likely to perpetuate the abuse. Hmm. It's actually setting culturally, it's setting up the vocation of pastoral ministry. It can, it risks this and the church for g- greater abuse. And it's not doing the thing we want it to do. Because by the way, and I just want to affirm this, we want it. We don't want abuse in the church. But if we are so uncritical that we are, we are labeling either actions or pastors uh, as abusive that are not, oh my God, we, we, we abusive begets abuse. Yeah. So this is huge. And and 
I don't, I really, of the three, the, this is the one I had the least answers to for as a mm-hmm. question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. All right. What's your question number three? Your, t- your, yeah, your third. so my third question, and in some ways this follows on the heels of what you're saying about just clarity about, let's be clear about abuse. I just want to get some clarity around the relationship between power and concepts that we've already mentioned, like authority and leadership and influence and especially discipleship. Hmm. And I, I just, I think a lot can be gained by by clarity, <laughs> right? But but okay. So, what is what is the relationship between discipleship, which is what Jesus said is our role as the church, is to build disciples? Mm-hmm. What is the relationship between discipleship and power? Mm-hmm. And how are we stewarding power well as we disciple others? And how does discipleship um, also involve the use of power, influence, leadership, and authority? Mm, that's really good, man. I just want some clarity. No, I mean, it's... <laughs> I want to I wanna like know, like in my bones, right? I feel like I feel like these these are words that even when they come up in conversation, I'm like, I got to take a step back and think about what we're talking about. I need clarity, like in my bones on these on these issues. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, we we are assuming definitions that are not shared with so many of these kinds of words and terms, and. If we're not even using the right language or the same language to talk about this, we're never going to get to the heart of the upstream uh, problems that need to be solved here. So that's so important. Totally. All right. Well, this is, like I said, our second kind of intro to this topic of power. We wanted to be clear about some of the questions we're bringing to this. We're going to have a bunch of great conversations coming up over the next several weeks. We would love to hear your questions as well. And I can't believe we're going to say this, Brad, but we have started a new Facebook group for as much as we oh, have God. complained about and um, railed against the counterfeit institution that is social media. We also want to create a place where we can talk with you and where, where we can take some of the stuff we're talking about in a podcast and discuss it. You know, we get texts from friends. Um, but we're sort of growing beyond that level and we want to hear from you. So search on Facebook for everything just changed podcast. We've got a Facebook group and we would love to hear your questions there. And we will be back in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk to Kyle Strobel about his new book with Jamin Goggin, the way of the dragon, the way of the lamb searching for Jesus path of power in a church that has abandoned it. This is going to be just a great way to set up this conversation. What does Christian power look like and how has the church just failed to steward that power well? If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And if you're liking what you're hearing here, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us share what we're doing on the podcast with more people. I'm Bryce Hales with Brad Edwards. Our theme music was recorded by Danny Rankin, who also designed our logo. Nathan Michelle edits our podcast. We'll be back equipping leaders who just can't even anymore on Everything Just Changed.